Section 1 of Make Mine Homogenized. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield. Make Mine Homogenized by Rick Raphael. Section 1. 60 Miles from Ground Zero. Shoo! Hattie Thompson cried, waving her battered old felt hat at the clucking cluster of hens eddying around her legs as she plowed through the flock towards the chicken house. Scat, you Solomon, she called out, directing her words at the bobbing comb of the big rooster strutting at the edge of the mob. Don't just stand there like a satisfied cowhand after a night in Reno. Get those noisy females out of my way, she batted at the hens, and they scattered with angry squawks of protest. Hetty paused in the doorway of the chicken house to allow her eyes to become accustomed to the cool gloom after the bright glare of the ranch yard. She could feel the first trickles of sweat forming under the man's shirt she was wearing as the hot early morning Nevada sun beat down on her back in the doorway. Moving carefully but quickly through the nest, she reached and groped for eggs she knew would be found in the scattered straw. As she placed each find carefully in the bucket she carried, her lips moved in a soundless count. When she had finished, she straightened up and left the chicken house, her face reflecting minor irritation. Again the hens swirled around her, hoping for the handfuls of cracked corn she usually tossed to them. On the other side of the yard, Solomon stepped majestically along the edge of the vegetable garden, never crossing the hoed line separating the garden from the yard. You'd better stay over there, you no-count, Lothario, Hetty growled. Five eggs short this morning, and all you do is act like you were just the business agent for this bunch of fugitive from a dumpling pot. Solomon cocked his head and stared Hetty down. She paused at the foot of the back porch steps and threw the rooster a final remark. You don't do any better than this. You're liable to wind up in the pot yourself. Solomon gave a scornful cluck. Better still, I'll get me a young rooster in here and take over your job. Solomon let out a squawk and took out at a dead run, herding three hens before him towards the chicken house. With a satisfied smile of triumph, Hetty climbed the steps and crossed to the chicken door. She turned and looked back across the yard towards the barn and corrals. Barney, Hetty yelled. Ain't you finished with that milking yet? Coming now, Miss Thompson, came the reply from the barn. Hetty let the screen door slam behind her as she walked into the kitchen and placed the bucket of eggs on the big work table. She had her arm up to wipe a moist forehead on the sleeve of her shirt. When she spotted the golden egg lying in the middle of the others in the galvanized bucket, she froze in the arm-lifted position for several seconds staring at the dully glowing egg. Then she slowly reached out and picked it up. It was slightly heavier than the regular egg, but for the dull gold bronze metallic appearance of the shell, looked just like any of the other twenty-odd eggs in the bucket. She was still holding it in the palm of her hand when the kitchen door again slammed and the handyman limped into the room. He carried two pails of milk across the kitchen and set them down near the sink. What you looking at, Miss Thompson? Barney Hatfield asked. Hetty frowned at the egg in her hand without answering. 
Barney limped around the side of the table for a closer look. Sunlight streaming through the kitchen windows glinted on the shell of the odd egg. Barney's eyes grew round. Now ain't that something, he whispered in awe. Hetty started as though someone had snapped their fingers in front of her staring eyes. Her normal look of practical dubiousness returned. Huh, she snorted. Even had me fooled for a second. Something wrong with this egg, but it sure is shooting ain't gold. One of them fool heads must have been pecking in the fertilizer storeroom and got herself an overdose of some of them minerals in that stuff. What are you staring at, you old fool? She glared at Barney. It ain't gold. Hetty laid the egg at one side of the table. She walked to the sink, took a clean two-gallon milk can from the drain board, and set it in the sink to fill it from the pails of rich, frothy milk. Barney had brought in the pails. Sally come fresh this morning, Miss Thompson, he said. Got herself a real fine bull calf. Hetty looked at the two pails of milk. Well, where's the rest of the milk then? That's Queenie's milk, Barney said. Sally's is still out on the porch. Well, bring it in before the sun clabbers it. Can't. Barney said. Hetty swung round and glared at him. What do you mean you can't? You suddenly come down with the glanders? No, it's just that Sally's milk ain't no good, he replied. A frown spread out over Hetty's face as she hoisted one of the milk pails and began pouring into the can in the sink. What's wrong with it, Barney? Sally seems sick or something, she asked. Barney scratched his head. I don't rightly know, Miss Thompson. That milk looks all right, or at least almost all right. It's kind of thin and don't have no foam like you'd expect milk to have. But mostly, it sure don't smell right. And it danged well don't taste right. Booey. He made a face at the memory of the taste. I stuck my finger in it when it looked kind of queer and took a taste. It sure tasted lousy. Booey. You've probably been currying that mangy old horse of yours before you went to milk him. Hetty snorted and tasted his cancerous old hide on your fingers. I've told you for the last time to wash your hands before you go milking them cows. I didn't pay no $1,800 for that prize registered Guernsey just to have you give her bag fever with your dirty hands. That ain't so, Miss Thompson, Barney cried indignantly. I did, too, wash my hands. Good, too. I wasn't near my horse this morning. That milk just weren't no good. Hetty finished pouring the milk into the cans. After putting the cans in the refrigerator, wiped her hands on her jeans and went out onto the porch, Barney trailing behind her. She bent over and sniffed the two milk pails sitting beside the door. Whew, she exclaimed, It sure does smell funny. Hand me the dipper, Barney. Barney reached for a dipper hanging on a nail beside the kitchen door. Hetty dipped out a small quantity of the milk and sipped, straightened up with a jerk, and spewed the milk out into the yard. Yuck! She sputtered. That tastes worse than diesel oil. She stirred distastefully at the swirling, flat-looking liquid in the pails, then turned back to the kitchen. I never saw the like of it, she exclaimed. Chickens come out with some kind of sorry-looking egg, and now, in the same morning, an $1,800 registered fresh Guernsey. 
gives out hogwash instead of milk. She stared thoughtfully across the yard at the distant mountains now shimmering in the hot mid-morning sun. Guess we could swill the hogs with that milk rather than throw it out, Barney. I never seen anything them Durocks wouldn't eat. When you get ready to put the other swill in the cooker, toss that milk in with it and cook it up for the hogs. Hetty went back into her kitchen, and Barney turned and lipped across the yard to the tractor shed. He pulled the brim of his wet-stained Stetson over his eyes and squinted south over the heat-dancing sage and sparse grasslands of Circle T Range. Dust devils were pirouetting in the hazy distance toward the mountains forming a corridor leading to the ranch. A dirt road led out of the yard and crossed an oiled country road about five miles south of the ranch. The county road was now the only link the Circle T had to the cattle shipping pens at Carson City. The dirt road arrowed south across the range, but fifteen miles from the ranch a six-strand new barbed wire fence cut the road. A white metal sign with raised letters proclaimed, Road closed. U.S. Government Military Reservation. Restricted area. Danger. Pellegree. Keep out. The taunt bands of the wire stretched east and west of the road for more than twenty miles in each direction, with duplicates of the metal sign hung on the fence every five hundred yards. Then the wires turned south for nearly a hundred miles, etching in skin-blistering, sun-heated strands the outline of the Nevada Atomic Testing Grounds at Frenchman's Flat. When the wire first went up, Hetty and her ranch neighbors had screamed to high heaven and high congressmen about the loss of the road and the range. The fence stayed up. Now they'd gotten used to the idea and had even grown blasé about the frequent nuclear blasts that rattled the desert floor 60 miles from ground zero. End of section one. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield, Mississippi, USA.